0: Jordan is on best.
1: Harper's on
2: it's in the Welcome to another edition of the Indie Rose Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Summer, joined by my co-host Tom Lewis, and today we're joined by Dave Searle over at the Field House. Uh, we're just doing kind of a quick hitter day. Uh, some, uh, obviously if, if you're, you're a basketball fan, you probably listen to low post. I don't know what else you would listen to. Um, so yeah, at the end, uh, he was talking to JVG and they, they mentioned that, uh, there have been people have come up to them in the bubble talking about the potential of David McMillan being fired by the Pacers or let go, I guess we should say. Uh, and, uh, according to Jay Michael, the Indy star, he has a team option for next season. um, so yeah, I, I Dave, I wanted to bring you on because you had some really great insight on 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 Twitter on the timeline today, and um, Tom, you always have your sage advice. So I thought you know <laughs> I inject some youth youthful wisdom into it. Um, I I think there's a there's a lot to look at with this in kind of a lot of small ways. Um, I, I Dave, I'd like to start with you just because I think you 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 brought up some really great points, and, um, and we can kind of go from there. Sure, yeah,
0: absolutely. With it, thanks for having me on. I really Yeah, no, thanks it. for coming on. Um, yeah, so when I listened to that podcast, um, it kind of is – it's exactly – it was kind of my brain said out loud. It's exactly <laughs> the, sort of the dilemma that I've just been going over and over again. People keep asking for my opinion on Nate uh, Mellon on Twitter, wanting him to be fired or, you know, wanting to say that he's a great coach, and I've never, ever landed anywhere, and I've mm-hmm. still not landed anywhere. And it's such a weird thing to be so far – into a coach's career without a firm opinion on it. But I just, I can't do it. And it's not out of indecisiveness. It's just that there's this fundamental kind of push and pull that happens with Nate McMillan as coach of the Pacers, which is on one hand, there seems to be some very obvious things that the Pacers should be doing that they don't do. It seems a little bit frustrating. We could talk about the – the uh the india play as we call it how often they <laughs> win that um we can talk about uh, miles turner no one seems to really understand what the plan is for him on offense and um it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense but on the other hand he always seems to overachieve with the players that he has you know every year um I think national uh, writers are a decent temperature check for I think what might be expected of the Pacers. Cause obviously they're not following the team. They're just looking league wide um, every year. Uh, they seem to overperform uh, the expectations uh, that are set uh, by those writers. And honestly, independent of those writers, my own expectations, you know, my own expectations for the roster, they seem to be exceeded to a certain degree. Um, and there's also been a lot of, weird circumstances that make it hard to make a definitive judgment um, with Oladipo getting injured in year two. Um, You know, once he got injured, it was really hard to put a, uh, you know, obviously they play Boston. They don't do very well, but you know, how could you expect them to do very well with uh, Oladipo out Um, in this playoffs? We might not have Sabonis. Oladipo might not be healthy. Are we even this year, this far in McMillan's career going to get a, an accurate understanding of what he can do with the full roster. Um, So those are the two, Things that just remain unsettled in my in mind, and um, uh, it, it leads me to a point where I'll never have a he should definitely be fired, or he should he's a great coach and he should be defended at all costs. Um, with all of that said, we can we can crack the net open and, and go into the details. <laughs> but um, I still land on the I, I even with an undecided, uh, inconclusive grade with this performance in the playoffs. In my opinion. I think it would be better for the Pacers to find a coach that can open up the offense a little bit and use the pieces um, in a, a better way.
2: Yeah, I I think, yeah, a lot going off that. Number one, um, I totally agree on what you're saying. They always surpass what, what I'm expecting. Like this year, um, I had the Pacers as, I was a little bit too high on them at the beginning of the season, but in, in retrospect, I mean, with, with TJ coming in, not really knowing how he was going to provide. We knew he was going to be an offensive player, but I encourage anyone who um, has, has noticed TJ's defense this year to go back and look at his defense last year. And speaking to his assistant coaches from, from Phoenix and um, you know video coordinators who have watched him around the league, I mean, his defense has taken just the biggest improvement this year. He went from a total negative last year to a, a average to slightly above average defender, which is a lot. Yeah, so that, was that's, that's, yeah like that also
0: happened with Darren Collison. That happened exactly. with Bowie on. And um, you, you have
2: like Thad Young, who he was a solid defender before he came in, but he was – I would argue he should have gotten an all-defense nod at least once with the Pacers. But um, I just think that the culture – it's such a cliche thing that gets brought up sometimes. But with a guy like Nate, I think it's a very real thing. You don't get guys to buy in and play like that without having a real voice and having guys who do listen to you. So there's that, but then I totally agree with you because I'm actually – I'm working on a piece right now on on Miles Turner and the, the floor spacing is just – it's a conundrum in my head. I mean, you watch uh, against the Sixers, like he, he was not willing to pop it in the entire time in the bubble. I finished with four threes yesterday, but most of them were garbage threes that you're taking to try and get back in the game because you're down so much. He's not popping the three like – he'll show one or two games. He'll start popping to three. He'll, he'll space. He'll get involved. He'll take shots. And then the next game, he's trying to run seven DHOs in, in eight possessions. Like it's just, it's confusing. Um, Obviously the offense could be a lot better. And I I totally understand where you're coming from there and and agree. One thing that I do want to posit though, that I think was brought up in the low post podcast, uh, Jeff Van Gundy said when, 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 when people mentioned to him that the possibility and the, the the rumors of Nate potentially getting fired, he was like, well, good luck with that. The idea of, you know, to, to think that you're going to automatically be better because of it is is a kind of not a false hope but somewhere along those lines because unless there's a surefire person who you know is going to be able to come in and keep at least some semblance of, of what Nate's created here while also really maximizing the guys we have on offense, then it's you could go backwards. And so I guess I'll open it up from there, but that's, yeah, it's a double-edged sword a little bit.
0: Yeah, and um, it's. I think the obvious things that come to your mind are, you know, Nick Nurse uh, taking over for Dwayne Casey. I think it's probably the best example. I mean, he was the coach of the year. He had won fifty plus games, um, and they gotten them to the Eastern Conference Finals. They let him go. Nick Nurse comes in. He has more creative plays. Uh, he has a more modern offense. Um, he's gotten them even to work harder on defense. Honestly, and so that Raptors team has gotten better. And so that's obviously what people are thinking of. Um, you know, you saw Jason Kidd get replaced and Mark Jackson get replaced. Uh, and both of those uh, teams uh, ended up being championship contenders, too. So that's what's floated in your head. I mean, one thing that kind of floats in my head, too, is the Pacers let go Rick Carlisle and they hired Jim O'Brien. Um, and so that was different because the players seemed to be conflicting with Carlisle. It was for different reasons. But, you know, they brought in a guy to shoot more threes. You know, the Pacers were this sort of experiment for a while where they're shooting crazy numbers of three-point shots because uh, Jim O'Brien was a little bit ahead of the curve on that. And um, obviously, there's a lot of reasons why that didn't work out. But it's um, I'm not saying that bringing in a new uh, coach to shoot a bunch of threes means it's going to be a disaster. Definitely not what I'm saying. But it's also there is something to be worried about, a kind of a grass is greener approach here, that it doesn't always go the way that you want. Exactly. Sorry if the in time. I'll let you go right after me. I just was, uh,
2: cause I've seen a lot of people float the idea of Mike D'Antoni coming here. And I think that is the polar opposite of what this team needs. Like, I think there's obviously there's a lot that comes up when talking about mid range shots. And I think I've talked with David before about it. He's great. And in, in looking at that, I've talked with Seth part now, um, a lot of people who really know what they're talking about with this stuff. And it's the way that the Pacers play, Fundamentally, fundamentally does make sense to, to an extent, you know, to the 90th percentile. But it's that extra 10% finding the right range of shooting enough threes to keep the math problem from going against you. Because, this you know, this team has a lot of guys who can play along the margins and shoot well from mid-range, facilitate themselves from there. But you have to find the way to make that work without killing yourself by being last in the league in three-point attempt rate. Um, so that's kind of where, where you look at it. Um, so Tom, I'll let you go ahead from there, but I was just like, yeah, that was kind of where I was thinking.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely kind of agree with what Dave said. Um, it's interesting listening to that podcast because it kind of turned into kind of a love letter to McMillan for the way he's gone about things and the way they have overachieved. Um, and I mean, I have a long history with Nate McMillan, um, Growing up in Seattle, I went to my freshman year at Dub. He was a rookie with the Sonics. They overachieved that year. And ever since then, he's been just a rock-solid guy and and someone I've always admired and appreciated for the way he's gone about his business as a player and then and then as a coach. So there's probably no bigger backer of Meg McMillan um, as a leader than me. Um, and I, I'm at the point, though, also, where I can see why a change would be made in this case with the Pacers. Um, and it won't be fair to Nate, because um, all the things, you know, you guys talked about, um, changing over the roster and then a injury. He's never had a full shake or a fair shake at having a, you know, his full squad going into the playoffs ready to go. Um, but there is that, you know, they, they talked about the mid range game on the, on the low post, but, there, there is some kind of a, uh, a change that needs to take place. I mean, this team overachieves regularly during the regular season, but then once it gets to the playoffs, you know, their ceiling, they, they bump into that ceiling. And opening it up, finding, finding that Nick Nurse, which where is he? Who is he? What, what are the options? That's the thing that scares me. You know, I think if you just swap him out for, say, Mark Jackson – you know, Please, what are you doing? I God, mean, that's kind of no. an insult. It, it's the same, kind of the same thing. Now, maybe the fresh voice might work. Um, I don't know. But um, it, it's tough thinking about that right now. I, and for some reason with the Pacers, these things come up at the worst times. It's that like we got a triple whammy this week. We got the Jack, Jackie McMullen. Killing the owner, and then the Pacers just dump <laughs> under the sun yesterday, and then this comes out. And it's like, God, can we have a week here? <laughs> things, were, things were pretty fun a couple days ago. Yeah, uh, but uh, I, you know, I, I I do think, but also the other part of the you know making a coaching change is you're going to be making a roster change too. Um, if you're going to be trying to quote unquote modernize things, um, somebody's moving with, with Domas and Miles and and, you know, would they be doing it because Victor wants a certain guy to come in and they want to keep Victor? Or is that not part of the plan? I mean, there's, you know, some major key cogs here. And I think, Mark, is, we were talking um, earlier, you know, for this era of the Pacers, this is this is going to be a huge offseason.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is the pendulum swinging here. I mean, this is the uh, – not to be all melodramatic, all, all but I think this is the biggest – this will be the biggest offseason season and, and up to the trade deadline for this front office, undoubtedly. I mean, uh, cause just looking at the, the way that things could shake out in the next, uh, next free agency period after this next up, upcoming offseason, season, um, a lot could change for this roster and, and the organization as a whole moving forward. So I think it'll be really interesting to see, and I'm not trying to speak trades into existence or anything, but, I mean, Caitlin Cooper. Of course, she's been on it. She's incredible. Um, anybody who's been knows their soul about the Pacers has been writing about how, in crunch time against the best teams, Turner and Sabonis is struggling. Um, it, it's it's not super effective. We were hoping to see that in the playoffs this year. We're not going to almost definitely. Uh, I mean, the, Sabonis has the uh, the always murderous indefinite listing, which means he's not going to play almost. It's, Trust me, go back, look at any indefinite, it's pretty much not going to play. <laughs> and he hasn't practiced in any of the individual off-season work um, when the Pacers were back in Indiana before going to Orlando. So that's important to look at as well. But, yeah, it's just – it's there's this is a huge moment in terms of where the the roster and, and the front or the front office and organization is headed.
0: Yeah, it's my prediction that they will trade one of Dumb or Miles and use it for a perimeter player and make war in the four. Um, I think that that there's a lot of sound logic uh, to lay that path uh, for the Pacers to use that as a roster move going forward. I think that there are perimeter players out there that uh, make sense to be moved right now. Um, And so there's a lot of options um, on the table uh, to be able to make a move like that. And, and, you know, the Pacers in my history uh, haven't been really that shy about making moves like this, uh, going out and... Trying to uh, you know get Darren Collison the, the play at the point and getting Hill and getting Teague and um, you know going and getting Jermaine O'Neill and going and getting uh, Artest and Brad Miller when they don't th- think that the roster is shaping up quite right um, in my experience they haven't been very shy about going out and getting that piece and I think that they see it um, I think that they the Pacers could be fine with Turner and Sabonis together but I think it's very obvious that. Shaking that up a little bit and getting a player of equivalent talent at a different uh, uh, position is going to be the thing that really makes it click in. Um, and so it would be – it's to the point where I would be mild, mildly surprised if they didn't trade one of them this offseason, honestly.
1: Yeah, and the early the early sample size uh, with uh, T.J. Warren at the four is uh, – It's not been too bad. Pretty promising. Yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't be that scared now. <laughs> Yeah, sure. yeah,
2: no, I agree. I think it's just it brings up a lot into question, stuff we probably can't even answer in the podcast. It's just uh, it, it really brings into question what what is more valuable to the team moving forward. Um, how does the shot hierarchy work out? Because we've already seen right now, I mean, there is some It's – it's been difficult working Victor back in, and I think it's partially because I talked with Jeff Stotts a couple weeks ago about, you know, how, what his injury out looks like and uh, what when we might see him become – what he's going to be the rest of his career. And that could be upwards of a year, year and a half, just getting back into getting those game reps and getting back to trying to be the player that he's capable of being. Um, so, yeah, it brings just a ton of questions into how that all is going to work because still, I, th- I still think Brogdon and Depot is kind of uh, clunky together. They're still trying to figure that out. And obviously they've only played, what, like twenty. 20 games together if you include the scrimmages, so it's going to take time. But, yeah, TJ is definitely evolving. He's showing some ability to to really flash more on-ball opportunities. And it, it, I've talked to you about it, Tom, but it brings up, yeah, just a lot of questions about who gets the ball when and, and how it all works together. But we'll see, man.
1: Um, Can't have enough options.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With, um, we mentioned Brogdon, especially how well he played in the early part of the season. Sabonis. Um, uh, Oladipo when he first came to the Pacers TJ Warren, Thad Young, Bojan Bogdanovic uh, I would even say put uh, Justin Holiday in this conversation i put TJ McConnell in this conversation Those are all guys that came over from other teams And played better in a Pacers uniform um, And I know that we look at Miles Turner and say Man, he should be utilized much, much better Much more creatively in different spots It doesn't even make sense where he is on the court um, and I think even maybe Aaron Holliday's, maybe not Dylan Philliping quite as much as you would want to, but on the whole, oh, McConnell, I want to add, uh, 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 excuse me, Doug McDermott. I got my uh, bench white guys mixed up, but <laughs> <laughs> Doug McDermott. Those are three guys that have been underutilized a little bit, but on the balance, really, the guys that the Pacers have acquired, I think, have been better here than they were elsewhere. And as Definitely. we uh, kind of frame this conversation around Nate McMillan, that's another point um, in his corner. Uh, that um, a lot of guys have just maybe been left for dead or maybe thought they weren't that special, um, end up coming to the Indiana Pacers and playing much better
1: basketball,
0: and uh, he gets credit
1: for that too. Yeah, that's a great point, Dave. Uh, You know, I think back to that first year when they brought in uh, Bogdanovich and Thad Young and and Carlson on one-year contracts, and it was like, oh, this is really smart. These guys will play hard. They'll play pretty well. And then once trade time comes around, they'll – Deal them off to you know contenders and get some assets. Give them it. while they played so well, <laughs> they were in the mix of the, the playoff race themselves and wanted to keep finishing it. And, and um, you know, and again, that that goes to the culture and and the way those guys play every night to win. And and you know, that like, ends up falling back on Nate. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you um, know that first. Pacers squad that had Paul George and they kind of struggled to make the playoffs a little bit he had an amazing season but you know people thought that that was a little bit of an underachieving uh, season there maybe in the moment but then like what three of those guys are still in the NBA (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah you know that was not a good roster um Pacers Monte Monte
2: Ellis was not a good good version of Monte Ellis
0: so (laughs) yeah you know it's he couldn't get a lot out of Tyreek Evans but you know uh, well there's there's a lot going on there, but he's not in the yeah. league anymore either. So, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think even without off-the-court issues that uh, he might have struggled to get a job this year anyway. So I um, uh, haven't seen, unless I'm uh, just not thinking clearly, people leaving the Pacers and getting a lot better. Um, yeah. but with Bojan does shoot the three-ball more now, though, in Utah. Yeah. He is shooting more. And that's um, um, if you think that, you know, here's something concrete that I think that you can pin on and say McMillan failed on something objective, um, um, which is before the season, he said, I want to shoot 33s a game uh, for the, on this Pacers squad. They made a big deal about that. They wrote it on the whiteboard. They ran scrimmages about that, et cetera. Um, and now they're sitting at 27 uh, three-point shots a game. They're dead last in the NBA. And 33s a game isn't even an ambitious goal. They'd still be 26 if they shot 33s three, <laughs> a game. Every year that keeps cranking up and up and the Pacers are going down. And, um, you know, they've got a lot of guys on this roster that are at 40% shooting or right below it. Um, They've got the guns to do it. Thad Young's playing on the Utah Jazz and shooting it a lot more. I think even Thad Young shoot it a little bit more in uh, uh, the Bulls. He's not exactly Steph Curry, but, you know, um, it's clear that a lot of players have opportunities to shoot them more. Um, and he set that goal, made it public and hasn't been able to get the Pacers there. And that's something that we can point to and say that, um, he wasn't able to get that done.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Cause one, one of the, I think one of the big things, uh, about mate and, and the culture of the team is there's an accountability for, especially on the defensive end primarily, but if you're not playing defense, you're not, you're not doing what you're supposed to, you're not, you're coming out. You're not really playing, but I don't think that if. And again, he does say they want to shoot more threes, but there doesn't seem to be any accountability for it, and uh, and it's not a problem if they're shooting the mid range and, and passing up threes. So, um, again, that if you if you have this tight, heavy culture, um, and that's not emphasized, even though you say you want it to be. Um, But it's not, you know, guys aren't held accountable or or you're not held accountable, then then that's where the failure is. And it kind of makes me think that if he
0: set that goal, he's so good at holding players accountable, he's so good at pushing them, but they're not reaching it and there's not a point of emphasis, it makes me think that it's not his point of emphasis. Right. And maybe that was groupthink. Uh, uh, I, I hate to use the word groupthink because a different <laughs> But, you know, it's the the front office is saying that. Or someone right. on his staff is saying right. that. They've come together and say, nay, I know, but you need to reach this goal. I think it's going to make the Pacers right. better. And that might be a tell, that that's not something that he wants to do directly. And I think that also maybe there's been some thought of, okay, you've got the defensive assistant. Maybe get a good offensive assistant and they can put it all together maybe that's an indication that that's not going to work, uh, that he might not be able to fully implement offensive philosophies that go against his own personal philosophies.
2: That's a really good point that I actually hadn't really thought of. Um, no. Yeah. Cause you, when you think about it in terms of having that goal up and it's not being met. Um, yeah, I agree. It's, it's going to be interesting to see. I think that there's a, there's, there's a lot that Kevin Pritchard is going to have to look at during the off season um, However soon we get to it, I still, I'm, I'm not super hopeful about a playoff round uh, not to get super down because of yesterday, but the team's just where, you know, there's the weapons are not all there and, and locked and loaded. So it's going to be tough. Um, but yeah, I think we can, uh, unless you guys have any other closing thoughts, we can, uh, we can probably get out of here.
1: Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. That
2: covered it for me. Cool. Awesome. Well, uh, Dave, thanks for coming on. It was really great to talk to you and meet with you, man. And, uh, and Tom, thank you for coming on as well. To everyone listening, uh, please go make sure to go rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Check us out on Spotify. Read us on any core rows. And check out Dave's stuff over at the Fieldhouse. Have a rest of your day.